fulfilled today is one like the Son of Man. The point will be as Christians, we can stand firm in our faith, knowing that God is bringing all worldly kingdoms to an end while also establishing His kingdom forever. As you're turning there, I want to remind you of the, the outline of this book because we're about to move into a brand new section in Daniel. So Daniel's broken up into two sections, and there is a narrative section, like story form, and that's chapters 1 through 6. But then there's an apocalyptic genre that takes place, and that's primarily chapters 7 through 12. But there's also another way that Daniel is divided. It's written in two languages. Chapters 1 and then 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12 uh, form, uh, are written in Hebrew, which the purpose is for uh, more of an emphasis on the Hebrew people, on God's people, while chapters 2 through 7 are written in Aramaic, um, giving more of a universal significance. And so what's interesting is chapter 7 is in the middle. It's bridging both these sections. It belongs in the Aramaic section, meaning universal significance, yet it's written in the apocalyptic section, which belongs in chapters 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12. And so it's this chapter that bridges both languages and both uh, genres together. And this is a chapter that gives us great understanding in the book of Daniel. And so before we dig in, I want to just share a little bit what is apocalyptic literature? It's kind of that literature that we, we struggle in a little bit. We're not very familiar with it. We don't read it. It's not in the newspaper or the comic section. And so let me read just a couple quotes, and then we'll talk a little bit about it. First quote, apocalyptic literature is produced by oppressed people groups. Daniel was written by Jews suffering in exile. Revelation, which is another form of apocalyptic literature, was written by and, was written by and for persecuted Christians. Apocalyptic is designed to comfort the oppressed, to encourage the faithful in distressful times. Another quote, apocalyptic is written for those who feel powerless, or helpless, under pressure, marginalized, left out, for those who become the objects of scorn and ridicule for their faith, for these who suffer and cry out, how long? It is for anyone who feels burned out and tired, who wonders if life is passing him by. It is for all who grieve, who do not get out of life what they expect, who are frustrated and angry. In a word, apocalyptic is written for those who are in need of perspective. I just want you to think about that. Do you need perspective today? Like I need perspective today. See, the purpose of apocalyptic, apocalyptic literature is to reveal what is hidden. It makes things that seem obscure clear. It, what it does, it, it removes the curtains, it pushes them back so that we could see behind the scenes. When we're in apocalyptic literature, we see the true spiritual battle of the world. We see where there is true power, where there is real authority. And you'll see that as we come into our text today. So how do we read it? We read it symbolically. 
And we'll talk just a little bit about this and more as we get into the text. Um, There's going to be numbers in apocalyptic literature. These numbers often are going to represent something other than just the number. Uh, Like the number four often represents either the earth or comprehensiveness. Seven is often the divine order or God's purposes. Uh, The number ten is often a number that means uh, completeness. When we come into this language uh, or in this genre, we're going to see that um, there's also a lot of vivid imagery and language. We're going to read about terrifying beasts coming out of the sea today. We're going to see what does that mean. So let me just give a little bit of, a, of an illustration. In chapter 6 of Daniel, we see that Daniel goes into the lion's den. That's a narrative genre. We read Daniel is thrown into a lion's den. So what does that mean? Does that mean Daniel made some bad choices, was surrounded by a bunch of bad guys? No, it's not metaphorical. It means literally he was thrown into a hole with lions. It's a one-to-one ratio. Lion means lion. So that's how we read narrative. But now we're in apocalyptic. And so in chapter 7, we're going to see beasts are coming out of the sea. Well, of course, if we were Daniel, does that mean we go to the Mediterranean, break out binoculars and say, where's the beast? Are we looking for the beast? Should we go to the Pacific Ocean, the Atlantic Ocean, and we just wait? There's beasts coming, or does the sea and beasts mean something else? When we're in apocalyptic literature, what we understand is that first and foremost, we want to understand things symbolically. And then if we don't understand it that way, it might be a a more literal translation. And overall, when we come to any genre What we want to do is understand how the author wrote it and meant it to be understood. So that's the point. Not how we might think we interpret it, but what was the point? What was the purpose as the author wrote it and the genre that he was using? And so uh, to kind of bring it all down, when we're in apocalyptic literature, there's at least three goals. And just try to make it real simple. So I'll give you three words. I believe they're in your bulletin. Number one, perseverance apocalyptic genre books like revelation books like daniel is meant to strengthen the the faith of god's people that we would persevere so perseverance is a primary role and and goal of apocalyptic literature number two judgment we see that judgment is coming evil will not last and lastly we see rule god is on his throne All throughout Revelation, in in this chapter today, we see that there is a God and he rules on his throne. So we see those three words, perseverance, judgment, and rule. Those are very common themes that we come and understand in apocalyptic literature. Let me read one more quote. The intention of apocalyptic is not to chart out God's plan for the future so future generations may draw up calendars, but to assure the present generation that contrary to appearance, God is still on the throne and that the future is firmly in his hands. That's the point. A lot of times we come, well, where's the chart and how do we figure out the coming and do we get, you know, can we nail down the date? That's not the point. If that's the point, it's largely um, not helpful for especially the first century readers. The point is, how do we today, in the reading of God's word, stand firm because of what we see in the word? Let me ask you, do you ever wonder about the future? You wonder, though, like, how are things going to plan out? You see, apocalyptic, it gives us categories 
that we would not otherwise have. See, God uses all these different genres in the Bible. We have narrative, we have prose, we have poetry, we have apocalyptic literature. And so that in all of these genres, God would communicate who he is, what he has done, who we are, and what we do as his people. And what's neat is it's in the variety of these genres that we come to a fuller understanding that if we only had one genre, we would not come to. And so it's through these different uh, sections of God's word that we more accurately see our God. So there's a lot of people that will say, you know, apocalyptic is hard. Do we really need to understand Revelation? Do we really need to pursue that book? Daniel gets tricky now. Can't we just say, look, God wins? Like, it's good, right? Like, I don't understand. God wins. We'll set it aside. We're good to go, right? No. Like we miss truths of God's word that we will not see with the clarity that he's given us in this genre. We might see these truths in different genres, but we won't see it as it's meant to be communicated in apocalyptic genre, which God has given us for our good and his glory. Let me illustrate this in one way. So in Daniel chapter 6, we see that Daniel is thrown into the lion's den. The state has changed, and they said, you know what? We're now going to persecute the people of God. And if you pray to any other god than, uh, than Darius the king, you'll be thrown into the lion's den. And at that moment, what we see is Daniel goes home, he, he opens up the windows, and he prays right there facing Jerusalem. Why? Why is it that he's so willing to defy the rule of the state and say, you know what? I don't care about safety. I don't care about comfort. I don't care about the lion's den. What I care most about is obedience to my God. How does he get there? Like, how does he have this spine of steel that is unable to be bent by the pressures of the world? Like, don't you want that? Don't you want to be able to say, man, I want to stand firm in my faith no matter what happens in the world. And so Daniel does this. Well, what we're going to see today, this text... Daniel 7 actually takes place before Daniel 6. It actually takes place before Daniel 5. We're going back in time here. And so one of the things that we see is that Daniel, yes, he most likely grew up with godly parents, grew up in the godly reign of Josiah before going to Babylon. But one of the things that God used to strengthen his faith that he would much rather be thrown into the den of lions than to bow before a king and pray to him alone is through this apocalyptic genre that we have here in Daniel 7. And so it is very, very valuable to us. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, we're told, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. And that was for Revelation, but I would say that would apply also to God's word. And certainly here in Daniel 7, there's a blessing in understanding this word. And so I get that it's hard. It's hard for me. I've spent months studying Daniel before getting here, so <laughs> it's taken me a long time. I joked around with Chris, hey, you want to preach Daniel 7 for me tomorrow? <laughs> like, it's hard to just jump into this text because it's, we're not used to it. And so I do understand that. Um, we're going to go ahead. We're going to jump in. Daniel chapter 1, nope, Daniel chapter 7, verse 1, and I'm going to ask that you stand, and we are not reading the whole chapter today. We're reading the first 18 verses because this chapter, uh, I, can't, I can't preach it in one. Other pastors more qualified than I can preach it in one sermon, but I cannot, and so we are going to break it up into two sermons. 
We're going to read chapter, chapter 7, verses 1 through 18. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked at its wings, were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back, and the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then, because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and I looked. The beast was killed, and its body destroyed, and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Let's pray. Our Father, God, we thank you for this text today. God, give us wisdom today as we, as we open up this word and as we look and as we study it. Lord, I pray for your spirit to work powerfully right now. Just through this reading that we have just done, and now as we, we talk about your word, and we look at the truths in your word, God, strengthen us in our faith. Convict us where there is sin and where we need to repent. God, I pray that today, because of your text that you have given us, inspired by men who have wrote it by the, by the power of your spirit, 
that, Lord, we would grow in, grow in our understanding of who you are, that our vision of you would be enhanced by this text, and that, God, we would fall down in awe of who you are. God, give us peace today because of this word. Give us understanding. Fill us with hope. In your name, Jesus, amen. You all may seat, sit. Okay. We start out. We break chronological order. We've kind of already said this. Verse 1, first year of Belshazzar. So far in Daniel 1, Daniel 2, Daniel 3, it's all chronological. Come to Daniel 7, we're now going before the events of chapter 5. So right now, Jerusalem, all those who have been conquered by Babylon, they're firmly under the rule of Babylon, and we're going to jump right in. So we have three scenes. There's four beasts coming out of the sea. There's a courtroom scene, and there's an interpretation. And we're going to take the beast and the courtroom and the interpretation. We'll kind of we'll sprinkle that in throughout. So we have four beasts. Where do they come from? We see in verse 2, they come from the great sea. Mediterranean Sea? Most likely not. Apocalyptic literature, the word sea represents chaos and the rebelliousness of humanity. In fact, if you look at verse 17, these four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. Well, I thought they came out of the sea. Well, they do. They come out of the rebelliousness of humanity, which is the sea, which is also where man dwells, which is on earth. So these beasts come out of the very rebelliousness of humanity. This is why in Revelation 21.1, when we're being told about the new heavens and new earth that will come at Jesus' second coming, the sea is no more. Now, does that mean there's no like Mediterranean? Does that mean there's no oceans? No. What we're understanding is that the sea, which has represented rebelliousness of humanity all throughout scriptures, now at the end in the new heavens and no earth, a new earth, there will be no rebellion. There will be no sin. There will be no evil. There will be no humanity against the rule of God. But all those who dwell in the new heavens and new earth will live in full and absolute devotion to God. So who and what are these beasts? Well, in verse 17, we're told that there are four kings that will arise out of the earth. Verse 23, we're told the fourth beast is a kingdom. And so it appears that the word king and kingdoms is being used interchangeably. And what we know, and we'll talk about in a moment, the kingdoms that they represent. These kingdoms had multiple kings. And so most likely, we're not referring to just one man, but we are referring to the very kingdoms themselves. Now before we move on, I want to make sure we connect with Daniel 2. And if you have not been with us, I encourage you to read Daniel 2 later. It's very similar to this chapter. I think there's a chart on the screen. Hey look, there is. In Daniel chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar, he has a dream. It's about a statue with four parts. Each part represents a kingdom. Each kingdom is represented by a different piece of metal. It goes from gold to silver to bronze to iron. And what we are going to see here is that we have four beasts, and they represent four kingdoms. And in fact, uh, this is kind of the way the kingdoms are broken up here. The head of gold, lion with eagle's wings, chest and arms of silver, and so forth up here. 
We'll talk about that as we go. Now, what's the point of having very similar text in the same book? Well, so Daniel 2 looks at the kingdoms of this world in a very human perspective. Think about it. There are all these precious metals. It's a beautiful statue. There's gold and there's silver and there's bronze and iron. It's gleaming. It's beautiful. But in apocalyptic literature, where the veil is removed, we're now given the divine perspective on these kingdoms. So no longer do we look at them from a world and how alluring and attractive they can be, but now we see it with divine eyes, with spiritual eyes, the way God would see them. And we see these are four horrifying beasts that are coming that are rebellious to the very rule of God. So those are kind of the different perspectives that we have from chapter 2 to chapter 7. So we're going to take these beasts one at a time. We're not going to spend a lot of time on them because there's a lot in this text. Beast number one. We see in verse four, there's a lion with eagle's wings. This is most likely Babylon. The head of gold in chapter two, which was the first part of the statue, we are clearly told in chapter two that it is Babylon. And all commentators, everyone agrees that surely this first beast is represented um, is Babylon. In fact, in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, we are told that the lion and the eagle are used as figures to represent Babylon. Notice that it's told it stands like a man and is given the mind of a man. I believe that's going to refer to the salvation of Nebuchadnezzar that took place in Daniel chapter 4. And I'll explain it more and probably more next week. But all these beasts are described in beastly characteristics, animal-like. But here we're, we're told that this beast became kind of like a man. And then when we get to the Son of Man into the Ancient of Days, which is, uh, I'll go ahead and spoil it for you, but you probably know, is the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ, they're described in human terms. And so the beasts are described in beastliness, but when all of a sudden we see this beast becoming more like a man, I think that's the salvation of Nebuchadnezzar. Um, and of course, the horn is also, the little horn is also described in human terms. I will, we'll talk about the horn and the beast next week. So I know some of you are like, man, is that, that's where we want to go. That's next week. Um, but that's described in human terms, I believe, because of its deceptive nature and how it allures us away from the one true God. Uh, we can't say everything about everything. If you have questions, there's a number also on your bulletin. So feel free to text those in. If we're able to, we'll answer those here today. The first one is Babylon. Second beast, we have a bear. A bear with three ribs in its mouth in verse 5. This is where the interpretations start coming, and they're different. The two primary interpretations is that this would be uh, the Medes. The second interpretation is that this is the combined kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. If you side with this is the Medes, then you believe the third beast is Persia, and the fourth beast would be Greece. There is good reasons to believe that. Um, probably the more popular, I would say the one with more support behind it, is that the second beast is the Medes and the Persians. The third beast will be Greece. The fourth beast will be Rome. There is definitely room for disagreement there. And just so we all know, Daniel, as he's writing this, would not know who these kingdoms will be. So let's just be clear. So we can debate, but Daniel, as he's writing, he just knows kingdom after kingdom after kingdom after kingdom are going to come that are going to rebel against the very rule of God. 
But most likely, this is the Medes and the Persians and the three ribs in the mouth. People try to say, well, who is that? I think it simply represents the very destruction and all that's left of its last prey. Here is a beast that devours much flesh. That's what we read in verse 5. All it leaves is the very ribs and it's still chewing on those Beast number three, a four-headed, four-winged leopard. We see this in verse six. I'm going to make the case that it's Greece. We'll talk about all this much more as we continue on in Daniel in the weeks to come. But if it's Greece, then most likely this four-winged leopard, which would be very quick and agile, would represent Alexander the Great from Greece as he conquers much of the known world. And then when Alexander the Great died, four generals took over which are most likely the four heads of this beast, very likely. Then we come to the fourth beast, and it's a terrifying beast. We see in verse 7. After this, I saw in the night visions, behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful, exceedingly strong. It has ten horns, like, like the ten toes of the statue. It has iron teeth, like the statue, um, the feet that are made of iron. Now, most likely, this is Rome. Now, notice there's not really a description of this beast. It's too hideous. It's too terrifying for him to look at and to actually gain the perspective of what it really is. We're simply told there's ten horns upon it, and then another horn comes and uproots three, and that's all for pretty much next week. You ever see the movie Gremlins? The movie freaked me out. I had nightmares for decades. I hate gremlins. Friday the 13th movies, I don't do. I don't do any of that. But if you do any of that, which I hope you don't, it's just scary. But you've probably seen things like that stuff. This is that beast. It's the, the nightmarish niche that it's being communicated here. It's terrifying. So you got to understand, as he's looking at this, look, in verse 15, Daniel says, My spirit within me was anxious. It's so horrible, these beasts that he sees. So let's make sure we don't just read this and go, Oh, cool, four beasts, and move on. No, no, it strikes fear in the heart of Daniel. We need to wrestle with this and understand that these are, are four horrifying beasts that are climaxing in this fourth beast and it brings terror to Daniel and there's this little horn and it appears to, uh, like a man and it's blaspheming God that's what it means it has a mouth speaking great things so I just want to make a few comments here what do we learn think Daniel 50 years into captivity what's a question that you have is it going to end at the end of these 70 years, which is what was prophesied, you'll be in captivity for 70 years. Will we go back to the kingdom of God? That's a question that most likely Daniel has. Is the kingdom of God coming in 70 years? We've got 20 more to go. What's the answer that we're given? No, Daniel. There'll be a kingdom, and another kingdom, and another kingdom. And they will all be in rebellion to the very rule of God. What we learn is that evil is not going away quickly. And think about it. You ever talk to people and they talk about just evilness in this world? Do you ever know how to respond? 
you know that we're actually given the reason for evil in this world. We're given it through the Word of God that it's because of sin that happened all the way back in the garden and it's come to all people that we see humanity in rebellion to God. And that's largely what these beasts are representing. Just this, these beasts represent what humanity does as they come together. We rebel against the very rule of God. So I hope you know that when you're engaging with people and they're saying, man, I don't understand why this happens and this happens and this happens, we can go right there with them and say, man, it is tragic, but can I tell you something? I'm a Christian, and this is what the Word of God says. And it happens because of sin, and you can walk them through. What we see also is that these beasts are powerful, but notice, they are all limited. Don't miss that. The first beast has its wings plucked off and made to stand like a man. It kind of looks like it's on a puppet, right? It's made to stand up, wings plucked off. It doesn't seem like he's actually in control, although someone else is seeming to operate in control upon him. The second beast is told to devour much flesh. It's told. He's not like, yeah, I just want to devour much. He's told to devour much flesh. So he's, 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 not, he's not all authoritative in himself. The third beast we read in verse 7 was given dominion, which means he didn't have it inherently but somehow he had received it. The fourth beast, verse 7, we read, it devours, it breaks into pieces, it stamps into crushes with its feet, everything that's left. And we're like, oh, this is terrible, this is horrible. And then comes verse 11, it's destroyed and burned up. So this beast is not all powerful. So as horrifying as this is looking, these beasts are very limited. And what we also see is that the beasts are inherently rebellious. Notice that they're, they're described as these strange hybrids. They're not natural. They're perversions of creation. Their very form screams rebellion to God's natural order. Go back to Dan, or Genesis chapter 1. We see God makes lions, and He makes bears, and He makes elephants, oh my, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but now we have this weird concoction of animals like all made together. This is not natural. Their very nature screams rebellion and as I've already said, these four kingdoms, we need to understand they really represent all of humanity. Rarely represent the rebelliousness of humanity, which means that as you and I are born into this world as sinners, that these kingdoms very much are describing the very kingdom that we are born into and are citizens of. Do you know that? We're told that we're born sinful. We're born not in the kingdom of God. We're born rebelling against the very rule of God. So our fate is actually the very fate of these beasts, apart from any grace of God, that we also would be burned and thrown into the fire. Uh, let me read Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. I just want you to just listen. This is the description of humanity. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. 
Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their path are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is a description of you and me, which, what is this description of? Really, the rebelliousness of humanity that's coming together and forming these kingdoms. And what we see is, as we move from creation, these kingdoms are becoming more wicked and more wicked and more wicked in their rebellion. Climaxing was what we see in, in like this fourth beast that is coming that is so horrifying and terrifying, Daniel doesn't even have words, words to describe it. So let us know. Let us not read this and we just kind of, okay, there's, there's four beasts. That's interesting. Let's move to the next section. No, we want to read to understand this is the kingdoms of the world. This is where we are born. And apart from God's grace, this is where we stay. And their fate is our fate. And what we see in verse 11, the next, they will be judged and destroyed. There will be judgment. There will be destruction. We'll see that a little bit more as we go on, and we'll see that much more next week. We're going to transition second scene. This is the first scene. These four beasts coming out of the sea. Now we have this courtroom. There's two main characters. Ancient of days, son of man. We'll look at them uh, in the order that they come. We begin, verse 9, As I looked, thrones were placed, and the ancient of days took his seat. This is not chronological. Right, there's these four beasts that come, then eventually one day, this Ancient of Days comes and he sets his throne. So we have a vision, then we have another vision. We just place them side by side. Don't think chronological, have different views here. Here's the kingdom of the worlds. Now, let's look at what God is doing. Okay, does that make sense? Not chronological, we have different viewpoints. And so we have the Ancient of Days. Notice how he's just ancient of days. He's endless. He's eternal. Notice these beasts were given dominion. No one gives the Ancient of Days dominion. He always has dominion because he always has been. He was and he is and he is to come. He is eternal. This is also this description that we have of him. We're not going to look at it today. Is very similar to the description we have of Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 1. Just kind of make that connection. You can read that later. Notice the word fire though. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire comes from it. This is just cool. Like, it's okay to be excited. Like, when you read, like, wow, this is, this is exciting. This is neat. So we have a guy, this ancient of days. He sits on a throne. The throne's fiery. Have you ever sit down on hot leather seats in your car? Like, that hurts. This throne is on fire. And he sits in it, and there's wheels, meaning it, this is a mobile throne. It's really cool. And it goes everywhere. It's on fire. And out of this throne comes a river of fire. So fire in the Bible, especially in the apocalyptic, we're looking at holiness, purity, judgment. So what we have is we have this perfectly holy, ancient of days, sitting on this a fiery wheeled throne and fire comes out of it this purity this holiness that destroys anything and everything that is not pure so that only that which is holy might be in its presence this is the picture we have here and then we're told 
This is not just any courtroom. There's thousands and thousands who serve him. And then that's not enough to communicate. So he says there's actually 10,000 times 10,000 who are standing before him. I don't know if you've been to the Thurston County Courthouse. This is a little bigger. Okay? You ever been to traffic court? Like this is bigger. This is greater and so we have this fiery throne where thousands and thousands and ten thousands of ten thousands, and they're all in awe of this one who sits in the fire, and the fire comes out from it. And then we're told a book is opened. Have you ever talked about someone behind their back, and then they're behind you? you ever do that? And someone like the guy listening to you is like, look behind you. Dude, stop. So we have this horn. And notice it. I look. So here's the description. We have, we have the Ancient of Days, fire, throne, thousands. And then there's this horn. And he's speaking blasphemous things against the Ancient of Days who has thousands and ten thousands and fire all around. You don't speak about this one wrongly. You almost want to say, dude, do you see behind you? Look behind you. But he knows what he's doing. His throne. This this little horn. We'll look at him more next week. He's in full rebellion against God. He doesn't care. But he will care. Because we see that the beast with these ten horns is thrown into the fire. He's burned. Destroyed. The dominion is taken from the other beast. I actually don't know what it means right now. That it means that they were prolonged for a season and a time. I'm still working on verse 12. So if you got verse 12, you come see me later and let me know. Um, does this remind you of anything? You've read your Bibles? Let me read just Revelation chapter 20 real quick. I want to start. I wrote down verses 11 through 15, but I should have started with verse 10. So I'm just going to read it. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. We think Daniel's seeing right here, seeing the rebelliousness of humanity. And one day it is coming to an end, which we see even more clearly in Revelation. That one day all rebellion, all evil will be judged. This fiery throne with the Ancient of Days sitting on it will have uh, his court convened. And all those who have rebelled will be judged. It's a very sobering scene. What's happened is that the curtain has been pulled back for us in this apocalyptic literature. In chapter 2, these kingdoms are described in, in precious metals and we go, wow. It looks so beautiful. But here in chapter 7, 
we see they're not beautiful, they're terrifying. They're terrifying. You know, we're going we're gonna to stop at that section. And we're just going to start the Son of Man next week. Because um, I just want us to rest there for a moment. When we come to the, to the Word of God, we do come to a God who is holy and who is righteous and is perfect in every way. And he's created us to be in relationship with him. We'll look more next week on how because of sin, we've rebelled against God. We say, you know, we don't want you to rule. We want to be God. We want to decide what is right and wrong. And honestly, in today's society, we see that all over, don't we? We see society saying, look, I can determine everything I want. I can determine the sex that I am. I can determine whatever I want to do. There's no one who controls me. I am. I am the one who sets my own destiny. And there's a lot of people who believe that because they're looking at the world in Daniel chapter 2 and the world looks pretty and it looks attractive. But if you're here and you've believed in the gospel, then that means that your eyes have been opened by the very grace of God that you would see the world as the word of God is described by God himself. And that the kingdoms of this world, yes, they may look attractive to worldly eyes, but upon tasting the very grace of God in Jesus, we see that everything the world has will not last, will it? Like, you know that. Like, we, all, like we know it in the simple forms. I have an iPad. Soon the new one will come out, and this one's not going to look so pretty. It happens with technology. happens with our cars. It happens with everything that we own, everything that we are. Our relationships, we're really happy. Oh, but, you know, the relationship didn't work the way I want. Maybe I'd be happier if I had another relationship. In the world's eyes, we continually try to think that things look beautiful. But if you're here, you know the true message. Because God has sent his son Jesus to die on a cross, that he would receive the wrath that we should receive, that the beast receives, that these kingdoms receive. The son goes to the cross and dies for us, that he would bear that wrath, and so that we who believe in him would be spared, and we'd be given the very righteousness of God. And then what's amazing so we have this God who sits on a fiery throne, and we'll look much more next week at the Son of Man, but we're told in Revelation, Jesus, as he ascends to the heavens, he now sits on the throne with God. So Ancient of Days on this fiery throne, Jesus sits with him on the fiery throne. Do you know what Revelation says? We sit on the fiery throne with God also. Isn't that crazy? We sit with the Son who also sits with the Father. So now this fire, which will devour any who have not believed in him, now we are able to come dwell within this fiery throne in the very presence of God because we've been made like God. Not, we're, not made, we're not made as God, we're made like in his image. We're made holy that we'd be in devotion to him. And I wanted to encourage you um, to have this vision of our God as you go throughout the days. Our God is in control right now. He is on a throne. It appears like he's not at times, right? Like let's just all admit, you watch CNN, Fox, pick your favorite station, your favorite website. It looks like there's no one on a throne. And certainly not God at times. But what do we learn? As we pull back the curtain, scripture 
reveals, no, no, there is a God, and he's on his throne. He's actually using these very things for the purpose of, of bringing forth his kingdom, that it will continue to grow until the point that one day Jesus returns. So, so have this vision of God that we'd be in awe of our God. And secondly, let us know that there is a judgment coming. Like, do you get that? It's a judgment. And anyone whose names is not in the book of life, but if they are part of the worldly kingdoms, like, they're going to be judged. They're going to be judged. And they have no hope at that moment. But we've been given the vision of God. I didn't cry when going through this prior. When given this vision that we would go into this world with boldness and with peace, that we would say that you know Jesus Christ and that knowing that as we communicate the word, remember what we talked about earlier, spirit works through the word. That's what we want every time we gather so that as we communicate this word, we have hope that God is going to open the eyes of people. And that as he opens their eyes, they would see the ugliness of this world, that they would be these beasts and they would repent and come to the kingdom of God. Let's go with boldness in this world. I'm going to pray because I can't go on. And then I'm going to have some men come forward. Father, may we be gripped by your word. May we be gripped by your word. God, you're on your throne right now. I know that sometimes I doubt. I know there's people here that we doubt and we wonder, is it true? But God, may we come to your word and believe the reality that you have given to us in your word more than the experiences that we feel in this world. But may the truth of your word align us, align our hearts and align our minds that we would know you rule and you are good and gracious God and that you have sent your son to save us, that we who have tasted your goodness in your son would go into this world with the hope and the peace that your Son is the answer, that He provides the hope and the grace we need, and that we would go forth with that message, and we would trust that you would open the eyes of others. God, I pray that if we have friends, if we have family members, God, place those names upon our hearts, that they would weigh deeply upon us, that we would not be content to simply spectate and watch them go to hell, but that we would be used by you to share the gospel with the hopes that you open eyes. God, may we know, may we rejoice that you open eyes. Praise God, you open eyes. Praise God, you've opened mine and so many people who are here today. May we know that, God. May we rejoice in that. And Lord, I pray and we would not be content with only going to those that we know, but may we go as you have commanded us to all nations, all languages, and all tribes. We're already told everyone's going to come. We're told there will be people from every nation. Now, God, because of what your word says, God, spur us on to go to these nations that we would tell other people about you, knowing 
that through your word and your spirit, you open eyes. But I pray that you do that. I pray you do that today in our hearts. I pray you do that every day. God, we thank you for this vision that you are on a throne, a fiery throne. Because of your grace, we can dwell with you on that throne. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace. In your name, Jesus, amen. I'm going to ask the men to come forward.